From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Men Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Men Cometh! What a surprise. It's Thursday night, and that means at 7pm, Garth, yes. you, and I... And our invisible friend, And Leon. sometimes Leon are here in the Edge Radio studios for another episode. In fact, the 275th episode. Or as podcasters Shut Up and Sit Down would say, the very 200 and whatever it is. 75th episode. episode. Correct. But we're 176 episodes ahead of them, so let's not even talk about them. Yeah, they're part-timers at best. Uh, we're back in the studio. We're back on the podcast. We're back live over the airways to talk about board games, card games, role-playing games. This evening we're going to talk about Kickstarter. We're going to talk about an epic game that we've played lately. Yeah, we're not going to talk about too much else, it must be said. So if you are interested Mm. in European history from 1517 to say a couple of generations after that. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. You're in for Is this episode for you? Mm-hmm. Because it's all Reformation all the time on tonight's episode of The Dice Men Cometh. Can't wait. I am glad to be sitting down because standing up, I just fall over with the amount of excitement for Reformation fans anyway. Yep, it's going to be big. We're probably going to be struggling to squeeze everything to an episode just for a change, so... Given that what's happening, we may as well go straight to a song and come back and talk more about games. Back soon! Hello, hello, Ignacio Cevicek, Portal Games, and you're listening to The Dice Man Comet. Have a great time. Oh, there you have it, especially for Trent. It's the Foo Fighters with Cheer Up, boys, here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And Cheer Up, boys, girls, Gender non-binaries and all others, we, Garth, mm. are going to talk about one of the games. I don't know that many people get to play this game. It is so epic. Well, I tell you what, if you're listening to this right now, stand up and do a couple of high fives and put your hands <laughs> in the air just like you just don't care because I'm going to say Reformation and we are talking about here I stand. Reformation time, come on! Now, inappropriately, you and I are both sitting down during this particular conversation, but I could stand up if I wanted to get really excited, but here I stand, in a nutshell, oh, look, it's me in a nutshell, (laughs) is a six-player Twilight Struggle. What does that mean for people who don't know what a six-player, let alone a two-player Twilight Mm. Struggle means? Well, let me just say, first of all, it is only six players. And we'll get to that, no doubt, later on. absolutely. It is a game that came out in 2006 Mm. and then celebrated a 500th anniversary edition in In 2006. 2017. And that's because, for those of you playing at home, yes, the Reformation period is defined as 500... Sorry, 1517 to fifteen. 55, mm. and it is a six-player, let's say a war game, but it's not quite a war game because there is physical war and there is religious war, 
But this game goes on BGG from 180 to 360 minutes. Now, throw that number away, ladies yep. and gentlemen, and people who don't identify with genders on a daily basis or choose to change that and so be with them. This is a game that will play for as long as it needs to play. Absolutely. Because thank you very much, this game will not conform to time itself. <laughs> and it is a game, as I say, that you will never, ever, ever want to play with less than six players. And, Mark, I think, I hope you can agree with me on that. Absolutely. But at its core, Garth, what type of game is this? Well, I'll get to that, Mark, because okay. it's the Reformation. Okay. okay. So what I'm going to do is start, as most lazy reviewers mm. do, which is read... <laughs> the blurb on, on our good friend BGG. Yep. So Here I Stand, War of Reformation, 1517 to 1555, is the first game in over 25 years, believe this or not, Mark, 25 years, <laughs> to cover the political and religious conflicts of early 16th century Europe. I'm surprised it's not the first game ever. That's Absolutely. Few realise that the greatest feats of Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ignatius of Loyola, uh, Henry VIII, Charles uh, V, Francis, Solomon the Magnificent, Ferdinand Magellan, blah, 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 all these other people were really at their prime within this unique sort of 40-year period. Mm -hmm. And this game covers all of the action of that particular period using what may be then but is not such a unique mechanism now, which is indeed a card-driven system that models both the political and religious conflicts of the period. And indeed, it is a card-driven war game. Wow. And I think, going in line with the historical context of this game, yes, Mark, yes, Garth. you would like to take us I down have, a path I'm... that only you have possibly experienced in real life. That's right. So card-driven war games, everyone thinks of Twilight Struggle. Well, I hope everyone does. They should, for sure. Think so, Twilight Struggle. When we talk about two thousand, uh, when we talk about card-driven war games, but little might they know, card-driven war games really started with a game called We the People, which is the story, I believe, of the American Revolution. Oh, the American Revolution. Um, that game was published by Mark Herman way back in 1994. Now, who's Mark Herman? That's a good question. Well, he's one of the two. Designers of Twilight Struggle. Twilight Struggle really carried the baton and I guess really waved the flag for card-driven war games in 2005. Well, he would have either waved the flag or been able to use the wave the flag card for his points, would That's he? Right. To do whatever he wanted. <laughs> yes, he could have played the wave the flag event. Um, so a lot of war games use this mechanic of cards where cards can be events or cards can be points that you can use. But... Where here I stand, here I stands apart from those is this was the first game to really feature not just war, not just geographic give and take, push and shove, kill and be killed, but it featured diplomacy. And most specifically, it featured religion. And not a religious war where two sides are attacking each other physically but a very different type of religious war where people were battling for the hearts and minds 
and souls of the people of Europe. So, yes, you're right. I will interject just here mm. because in this particular game, Here I Stand, there are two battlefronts. There is the physical battlefront mm -hmm. where teams, and look, as I say, there's only six players and the teams that we are talking about are the Ottomans coming up through, I guess, modern-day Turkey. You've got the Habsburgs who, in the... The period we're talking about controlled Spain and I guess pretty much modern-day Germany and maybe southern Italy from, you know, if you drew a line where Naples is and, and south, they controlled that territory on the board. Yeah, I think around, I guess it was the, that sort of birth of the Holy Roman Empire. So mm. Vienna, Germany, what was to become, I guess, Holland, Correct. Spain, sort of surrounding France. Maybe? That's right. So, yes, once you've got the Ottomans and once you've got the Habsburgs, the next player is the English, yep. who not surprisingly controls England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales. Mm -hmm. You've then got the French, which, according to the map, is pretty much modern-day France, if not exactly modern-day France. And they're the physical countries or powers that will be fighting over physical territory in this yes, game. Yes. You've then got the two religious influences in here, which is the papacy, not surprisingly, they start in Rome and control a whole bunch of northern Italy. And then you've got the Protestants who don't even start on the board. But they do pretty quickly as the game starts. Well, effectively, in the first turn, you've got like a little explosion within Germany, which is um, Luther nailing his theses to the door mm. and that spreading like a sort of tiny wildfire. I can say wildflower, wildfire in Germany, depending on how the die rolls go. Well, that's in this it. Game. I mean, not many people know this about Luther's 95 Thesis, but all of it was determined by die rolls. <laughs> that's right. So, look, that's how there's six main factions in this game. You've got the Ottomans, the Habsburgs, the English, the French, the Papacy, and the Protestants. However, it is a game of really two different battling factions where yeah. you've got the one group of, what, four Ottomans, Habsburgs, English and French vying for physical territory in Europe, de denoted by keys, which are essentially strongholds and cities that you're going for. Yep. And then you've got the papacy and the Protestants who are really just trying to make sure that you are all worshipping the right kind of God and the right kind of religion and all that goes along with that. And mm -hmm. we're certainly not going to talk about who is right and who is wrong. Of course not. But that is the battle they choose to fight. And not only is there the religious war, not only is there the physical geographic war, but an emerging front in the not war is the new world, where certain players, in particular the English, the Habsburgs and the French will choose to venture forth to new lands to establish colonies, to conquer native tribes, even though that be a terrible thing, and to bring back treasures. So you've sort of got that happening as well. And I think the key thing in this game that is different from all those war games, apart from all the things we've mentioned, is... The diplomacy and the fact that there is even a diplomacy phase in this game. You could almost describe this game as taking the game diplomacy and smushing it together with an old school war game, even more so than the game 
diplomacy does. Well, let's go through that, Mark, because, yeah. look, going to put it out there straight away. Mark and I agreed to play this game at the Hobart Winter Games, Winter Games Fest. Fest, which yep. happened over this weekend, which was fantastic. And we organised this, what, a week, two weeks ago. Someone posted on the Facebook saying, I want to play a full game of Here I Stand, who's in? Mark, because he's got nothing better to do, <laughs> went, right. yeah, I'll be in and Garth will be in too. So we, <laughs> we joined in and we were uh, lucky enough to be joined by four war gaming aficionados. And Garth, actually, I have to give you a lot of credit because I jumped in and said, oh, this would be amazing. I'm sure my friend Garth would love to join us before... I'd even had so much as a conversation with you and you were like, yeah, yeah, I'll be, I'll be in, not really knowing what you were in for, I think. Although, obviously, we have really enjoyed, and I'm, like, I'm sure we'll come to these comparisons later, but you and I have very much enjoyed the coin games. Mm -hmm. We love Twilight Struggle. Correct. So the fact that this game is described as Twilight Struggle but with six players playing almost asymmetrically... Yeah. How could we afford to miss this opportunity? Look, it's, a, it's absolutely an event game. So you don't play it knowing that you've got to go home and have wife, mm. have wife, have dinner <laughs> with the wife and the children or the partner and the children or the partner and the dogs or the anyone else. Mm -hmm. It is a game that you start and you will commit until the game finishes. And that is exactly what we did. We were sitting there ready and able at 10.30 on a Saturday morning. We started when everyone was there and we ultimately finished at around about... 9.30, yes. quarter to 10 at night. <laughs> yes. And even then, that was a surprise yeah. out of nowhere victory. And that's the kind of game that we're talking about. We could have easily been playing this game till midnight and hoped to finish. Yep. So what kind of game is it? Well, it is a six-player, as you say, asymmetrical war player, war game, card-driven mechanically. It will always have certain player order. I guess the Ottomans are always going to go first. The yeah. Habsburgs will then go next. Then you've got the English, then you've got the French, then you've got the papacy, then you've got the Protestants. And the turns will just go round and round and round until you have had at least nine turns. Now, nine turns does not sound like much. However, within each of the nine turns, you will have impulses. Oh, I had some impulses. And impulses are essentially your individual turns within the greater turn because every player will get dealt a certain number of cards and that number of cards will be defined by their particular group, whether they be Ottomans or Habsburgs or Papacy or Protestants. And your turn will start with having to play a card for either the points, as in command points, mm -hmm. or the event. And the way a turn will end is only once all six players at the table have passed and you can choose to pass whenever you want to yep. and then come back within a turn so that even if you as the English mark, for example, might only have been dealt three cards yeah. while myself as the Habsburg might have six or seven, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you're going to finish your turn earlier than me. It means you could strategically pass in order to see what's going to happen, what the other factions and other players are going to do. Yes. So we played our first turn... And then looked at our watches and it was about 1pm in the afternoon. <laughs> yes. And we thought, well, we better stop for lunch. So we did. But that's another story. So, look, you will keep going over and over and over. On every single turn, you'll have an impulse. And an impulse will be play a card, use it for the points or the event. And you will have typically between three 
to seven impulses mm-hmm. per turn. Now, I was the Habsburgs, and the Habsburgs, for the duration of the game, I believe, had the most cards given to them. I think so, yes. I think I started with maybe five cards, and maybe yeah. he was able to get up to seven over the course of the game. So I had the most cards, which was awesome. However, a turn, when it ends and you start the new one, is really defined. You will define this turn by these things are going to happen. After these particular things are going to happen, you're then going to have diplomacy. And diplomacy is really you can talk to any other faction and you can try and lay a framework for what do I as a particular faction and what do you, Mark, as a particular Mm. faction, want to try and do this round and how can we negotiate this? But our conversation as Habsburg and the English is completely independent of my conversation with the French and the papacy and the blah, 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 blah. And that's where setting a timer for those negotiations, which we did, was absolutely brilliant. And I must say, this was the first game where the backdoor negotiations, where you would physically stand up from the table and say, "Uh, Melvin, you're France, I'm the Habsburgs, we share a border or two, we need to go and have a chat about what we're going to do over the next turn. Mm-hmm. So let's go to another room and chat about this because we've got some serious stuff to figure out. And I, first of all, was really intimidated by that because I didn't quite know what that entailed. Yes. Because I'd read about the game, watched a few videos about the game, but the reality of the game is entirely different. Mm. However, to go there, having had a couple of turns, and actually go, well, look, This is what my ambition is, as far as you, opponent, need to know anyway. (laughs) This is what my ambition for the next turn is going to be. I'm happy to not impose on your ambitions, other player, as long as your ambitions don't interfere with mine. Garth, this was, and I knew it would be, this was the perfect game for you because you were such a sneaky so-and-so. And look, let's, let's just interrupt for a second to say... Adam, Brendan, Melvin and Andrew, who are the four people that we uh, that we played with that we had never met before. Uh, Adam, I think, is a member of Hogs, but I've never played a game with him before who sort of sh- gave the shout-out on the Hogs page to see who was interested. These guys were amazing. They allowed us to take photos and videos and do the Dice Men thing while still playing the game. So thank them so much for that. But I have to tell the story, Garth. In the very first diplomacy stage, which is a limited stage, because I think there's only... Well, it's, think, defi- it's called limited diplomacy. I think England and France were allowed to talk and was it England and... or France and Spain, maybe, or France and the Habsburgs? Anyway, very limited. When Melvin, as France said, come over here, England, let's have a little chat, and proceeded to pull forth charts... Notes, maps, pages of pre-work that he's done. I, as you just mentioned, I was quite intimidated thinking, <laughs> am, am, I pre- am I prepared for this game yeah, to absolutely. be what it is? And it did take a little while to get into it. But as you said, that that diplomacy where there are formal arrangements, there are informal arrangements, there are opportunities to swap to swap cards or to swap other things, 
some which are binding, some which aren't, some which are announced to the group, some which aren't. And I just want to, again, interject, Mark, and, and put out straight on the table, I love that mechanic. <laughs> I love that you can negotiate about binding things, yep. such as we will have an alliance and therefore our forces cannot physically fight on this map. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I also love the fact that you can have completely non-binding things to say, well, look, yeah, I'll give you a card because you're not going to declare war on me. And then you just have to sit tight and wait. And if that player at the table says mm. in full view of other all the players, uh, yep, I'm not de- going to declare war on, uh, on the <laughs> Ottomans, and you just go, sounds great. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and just immediately go, no, no, I don't have a card for you. Sorry. You, well, but you've already you've already announced that you're not going to fight me. Well, it's quite harrowing because obviously I had one of those four or five conversations, but not knowing what was going to happen in, in the others was really like, uh, yeah, Melbourne said what I thought he was going to say. Phew, thank goodness I'm safe there. But then all of a sudden he declared an alliance with you who was my enemy and... The enemy of my enemy is also my enemy, and it was very confusing. It took me a little bit to get into that aspect of of the game, but boy, I loved it. Yeah, so this is the thing. Mark and I, at the end of this epic, were both going, wow, this was amazing, I want to do it again. Now, it must be said, without a shadow of a doubt, the ending was anticlimactic. And Mark, you out of anyone would surely appreciate those endings more than, more than you know, most of us. But, look, it was a surprise victory, to be sure. However, the six of us, I believe, are planning another iteration yeah. of this uh, game or potentially Virgin Queen, who knows, in, in a couple of months' time. And I am so excited for that because this is a game that you stick a little circle around that particular date in your calendar and you study up and you work hard and you make sure you enjoy it. But the reason that our climactic ending wasn't quite as exciting as it should have been is because, again, with the asymmetrical nature of it, even though you kind of know what each faction needs to do. Mm -hmm. So, again, as the Habsburgs, I really just needed to get victory points and claim keys to get to a 25-point score. As France... He needed to get to 25 keys and needed to do one other thing. As England, you needed to have babies and potentially chop off some wives' heads Look, Garth, to get those victory points, Mark. Garth, what I want to say is I've still got quite a bit to say about this game, and I'm sure you have too. <sighs> what I really want to do, because I want to delay the tension for a bit longer, right. is I think we should go for a brief break. Let's come back and talk about our impressions. Let's talk a bit more about the game. Let's talk a bit more about the sequel to this game that I'm excited to maybe get to. As long as you agree with me that you just wanted to have babies. I mean, how many games (laughs) do you get to roll a die on a pregnancy track? We'll find all about that when we come back after this very brief break. Hi, my name's Joe. The Dice Man cometh. They're so much fun and occasionally sober. (laughs) Oh, hello. That was Jeff with Let Me Out. You with the Diceman Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM Australia and the Southern Hemisphere's 
most intriguing board game and tabletop podcast? Well, certainly the most introspective. Well, definitely the most focused on the Reformation Absolutely. in tonight's particular episode. Now, Mark, you've got something you need to say. Well, Garth, look, the amazing thing, we talked about how much backstabbing, how much diplomacy, how much deal-making and deal-breaking happened during this game. But you might be amazed to know this is actually set during the actual historical period where Machiavelli, the person who is known for writing about those sort of things, and when you're acting in that way, you are being Machiavellian. This was actually during the time period when he published his masterpiece, The Prince. So, the no wonder the diplomacy takes front and centre stage in this game. Absolutely. And look, we were given a 10-minute time frame per diplomacy, not per player. So you had to sort your yeah, stuff out yeah. within 10 minutes with potentially five other factions. Now, we did that well. That was really, really good. And, oh, boy, I felt like everyone negotiated really openly and honestly, as much as you can be open and honest, where the game is yes. all about backstabbing everybody. Yes. But I was quite happy with that because I didn't know how it was going to play. There was only one conversation I had that was tense, and that was with the Pope yes. or His Holiness. Yes, or otherwise known as Andrew. Well, yes, but I wanted to you know, be a bit more reverent than yeah. that because I was... T- Polishing him <laughs> in physical war, and he was the one thing between me and total victory. Yeah, he said at the start of a turn, "Look, I would really much rather uh, you look elsewhere." And I said, "I can't promise that." <laughs> and I said, "Let me look at the board state." So I went back and looked at the board, and we uh, you know, cast our eyes over it. And I went back and went. Can't promise that. <laughs> to which he admittedly said, like yep. bright, open, I'm gonna spend my whole turn building resources to screw your plans up. <laughs> and I went, Yeah, I, I, I get that. That's completely yeah. fine. But I had my eyes on the prize of getting to my my final key, which is gonna get me to victory. Mm. And you know, none of us beat around the bush. We all as far as my negotiations went. Everyone said what they were going to do on the tin. Yes. They all went, this is what I'm going to do. And for the most part, with one exception across the table, they did what they said they were going to do. Ma. <laughs> well, look, I have to take my hats off to the Pope Andrew or the Pope Leo or the Pope... I can't remember what other popes there were. There were lots of popes, but Andrew was all those popes. Because, look, let's face it, history is against him. This game was the Pope's, the papacy's to lose. Yeah, they where's st- religion these days? That's anyway, right. Mark, I mean, <laughs> well, they what is that? Off- Vatican Simti? Bipti? <laughs> I, I don't That's know. That's right. They start off way ahead on the victory point track with, must be close to 20 points. You need 25 to win. And really, his job was almost just to hold on to what he had. Because obviously you've got the Protestants chipping away at him from a religious perspective, and then you've got all of us chipping away at him from a geographical and, and a war fighting perspective. I went to Andrew as as England, as Henry VIII. <laughs> My prime motive was to have an heir, you know a son to carry on my name, to carry on my line. We all know that 
Henry struggled a little bit with that, went through a few of those wives to try and do that. And so, of course, one of the first things that I had the opportunity to do was ask the Pope for a divorce because if I could get a divorce... They could move on to wife number two. Oh, that be hunky-dory. That's right. Start trying to work on that air because wife number one, she let me down, Catherine. You let me down. I had to send her back to France. <laughs> and and the Pope, Andrew, made it very clear, given he'd never played the game before, that you know he'd read in the literature that really he shouldn't grant me that divorce for anything less than two cards. And he drove a very hard bargain, which I refused in the first turn, accepted in the third turn, which is probably a difference of five to six yeah. hours between those two. Turns. That's right. But hey, fantastically, I just have to give a shout out to myself because, well, you know Henry Henry the Eighth and his six wives. Well, in our version of history, old Henry only needed two wives to get the job done. That pregnancy table smashed it out of the park. With, uh, you smashed it, Mark. You smashed it big time. <laughs> was it? I can't remember. Anne Boleyn. Was, uh, was she wife number two? I oh. can't quite remember. You were what, there. What, I wasn't whatever there. Whatever it, it was, whoever it was, she did the job. She was very. I fertile. did the job. Yeah. And we produced an air almost straight away after the Pope gave us that divorce. Thank you, Pope. Wow, jumped me up at the victory point track and really meant I didn't have to worry about the wifey thing. No. I could get on with doing all those other things. Yes, the sneaky, dastardly <laughs> things that you chose to do. <laughs> so, look, the nature of this game dictates that we could talk about it for probably oh, the next yes, five hours. Yes. If you are at all interested in a long-term strategic card-driven game where everyone will leave the table going, oh... What a game, but also more than likely going, really, 11 hours? It didn't feel like that? Yeah. Then this game, even though it is, what, 11 years old or 10 years old or a long time old, it is amazing. Now, there are certainly flaws in it. The chits, the bits are fiddly. Yeah. You will control certain armies, they'll move around the board, and the number of times our leaders tipped over and fell over and bits got sort of put in places they shouldn't have been, happened almost every single impulse within almost every turn. So that, it happened quite a lot. That part of it very much reflects the old war school. game styling, Absolutely. old school, and having to stop and count how many troops do I have in this stack of troops? Is it seven, eight, nine, Absolutely. ten? Those sort of things, I guess you can't avoid it. And I need to say, as the player <laughs> who was more than likely going to win the game on a particular turn. Wow. And then Brendan, who was playing the Ottomans, played the perfect card. Oh, yes. Which was called Haley's Comet. <laughs> which, for those lay people playing at home, is a skip the turn card. Well, it's a once... Or a skip the reap. Sorry, skip the impulse yeah. turn. It's a once in, what, 80, 87 year event card? Which I completely get. So, Brendan played the perfect card for the perfect time yep. after consulting with the Protestants, must be said. <laughs> but he played it and it meant that I didn't get my turn mm. where I would have yep. had a crack at winning. And with the card in my hand, the crack I had 
I would put the odds at an 80 to 90% yeah. chance that I would have won. It still came down to a dice roll, Absolutely, must be said, as, as Absolutely do all these combat did. rolls do. My feedback is not about the card and yep. not, not about the playment, uh, playment, player <laughs> of that particular card. My feedback is on an, a 10-plus a hour game mm. to have a card which allows a player to have their impulse, one of their turns skipped, mm. is massive. And I get that Haley's Comet, once in 80 years, there's probably one card in the whole deck and yep. the deck is probably, you know, one to two inches thick. It's a massive event and it, deter it, it, it requires something really big. But, oh, my, oh my gosh, that yep. changed the whole dynamic. Yeah, well, look, it was perfectly played. And one of the great Absolutely things, it was. things about this game is, you know, you're playing these cards for events and command points, but you've also got... Response cards that you can play when a player does a certain thing. You've got cards that are particularly effective in combat and then respond to combat. Yeah. So you've, you've got mandatory events which you have to play whether it's good for you or not. They have to be played. And playing, one of, these, playing one of these games just cements the opinion that I've got no chance of being a game designer because how the hell do you balance all oh, this stuff? No. How do you make it? How do you research it? This would have taken who knows how long. Mm. I'm so glad someone did and that someone is particularly Ed Beach. Yes. Because this game is exceptional and I will happily play it yeah. as long as I have a month's notice so that I can get the okay from the other half. <laughs> but this game is awesome and I'm so looking forward to being able to play its spiritual successor, Virgin Queen. Garth, did you know that Ed Beach was also the lead designer on Civ Six, the PC game? Wow. Look, I have to say, if you're slightly intrigued by, by what we've had to say, and I, I think if you've played something like Vast or Root with those player asymmetries and you've thought, oh, I quite like this. This is, you know, we're really all playing a different game. Yeah. But you look at your watch and go, only three hours. <laughs> I've only just got started. <laughs> That's right. Then you might be interested. If you played Twilight Struggle and thought, this is amazing, but if only four other people were here with me and my friend to enjoy this, then you've got to give this game a try. And not only is there this game, Here I Stand, Wars of the Reformation, 1517 to 1555, but we saved the best to last, potentially, because then there is the sequel by Ed Beach, produced in 2012, Virgin Queen, Wars of Religion, 1559 to 1598. You might ask, why would I want to get another 50 years worth of this craziness? Well, what happens? Just let me tell you briefly. In the sequel, the Habsburg, they become Spain. The papacy becomes the Holy Roman Empire. The Protestants have expanded. You have streamlined religious conversion and rebellion rules because you've still got the Protestant Catholic thing happen. The world has gotten bigger the new world has gotten bigger. There's more expeditions where you can directly control what's happening as opposed to, I'm going to send some guy to the, to the new world, roll the die, see what happened. Hang on. I circumnavigated the world, I'll you have you did. know. Magellan, he was up to the task Absolutely for you. Absolutely, he was. Um, so you can do more on the world map. There are alliances with major powers and minor powers, like they're in with this game, but you can actually buy influence in the foreign court to caught them and get them on your side. 
There's weddings. You thought that Henry VIII and pregnancy was good. There's weddings between powers in order to forge alliances, in order to give you more power, particularly, of course, Queen Elizabeth with the heart and stomach of a concrete elephant <laughs> and her trying to marry her off. There's patronage where you can enlist the scientists, the writers, the artists, the architects to make their amazing things reflect your glory as the leader. You can sponsor Galileo or Shakespeare or search for the Philosopher's Stone and then... The Philosopher's Stone? Yes. Is Harry Potter? Yes. You're a wizard. And then there's espionage. There's spies. Sir James Bond, the earliest... There's all these things that are offered in Virgin Queen. So it's like, a, it's like a refinement of Here I Stand, where I think there's slightly less focus on the war stuff and the players become even more asymmetric. I do own a copy, Garth. Well, there you go. I think we may have talked about it very, very briefly many, many years ago. I've tried to get a game up and running a number of times and it's just so difficult. Well, I was going to say, the only thing you need to do is make sure you get the right six people. Full stop. Mm -hmm. The game itself, brilliant. Love it. Yes, it shows its age in certain parts. That's a game. Make sure you have six people who understand they are in there for the long haul, understand that they need to negotiate and be honest and maybe not so honest and go back and forth, <laughs> and that's the nature of the that's game. Right. But make sure if you got the right six people, and I think we did... It was amazing. Look, Garth, let's pause for breath after all that epicness. We'll come back briefly because I've got a bit of a Kickstarter update and it's an all Aussie Kickstarter coming up next. This looks like a cool and groovy bar. Maybe I'll be able to meet someone nice here. Oh, dating is so hard. Oh, there's a beautiful girl. I might go and see if she'll talk to me. Uh, 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 he hello. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you come here often? Oh, no way, Jose. But you don't even know my name and maybe we can grab a drink sometime? I don't think so. But maybe if I had a mullet and a motorbike, would that make you change your mind? Oh, maybe. Okay, um, would you like me to get you a drink? No. I don't think so. On your bike, Mike. Oh. Have you ever been lost for words? Have you found the same or opposite sex really intimidating? Well, have we got the game for you? Introducing Matchbreaker by Bill Northcott and Candy Burger Games on Kickstarter now. Would you like to become the one true Casanova? Maybe if I work on my telepathic ability and have some fun date ideas and become a lovable oaf, I'll be able to play the right card to win the date of my dreams. Oh, baby. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Live now on Kickstarter. Go and back it before the 27th of September. Well, there you go. That was garbage. With sex is not the enemy. I was going to say it was really good, not garbage. Although the English are the enemy, <laughs> especially in Here I Stand. Now, Mark, Garth. you have got about 10 minutes to go and kickstart my heart. 
Because the love kick starts again. Oh, I didn't have it ready, Garth. Uh, at least I managed to uh, make it seamless. Go, go, go. Tell us about some Kickstarters. Okay, I've got some Kickstarters to talk about with a bit of backing music here. Um, so I've got the Great Southern Land edition of Kickstarter tonight. Um, firstly, a game we've already talked about on this show. Um, and I'll turn that down now. Um, Matchbreaker, the retro matchmaking card game by Bill Northcott and Candy Burger Games. Now, we talked about it in episode 272. They came on a Kickstarter. They left Kickstarter. Mm. They relaunched and have come back with a, a, a lower, more realistic goal and smashed it out of the park. Yes. They came back with a $4,000 goal. I think initially it might have been twenty-five or something like that. Yeah, it was a lot more. Anyway, they've come back with a $4,000 goal. When I wrote my notes last night, it was just over ten. Looking at the screen now, it's over 13000 So they've powered through. They're unlocking the stretch goals. Yeah, I don't feel like we need to talk about no. this one. Uh, what they have done after trial one and uh, apparently having a bit of a communication issue and miss missing a couple of benchmarks in terms of marketing, they went back, relaunched within a couple of weeks, Lower their target, which I believe for a first-time Kickstarter, yes. the lower the target, the better. So important. And smashed it. So I'm looking forward to seeing how well that can Yeah, be. now it's still 28 days to go. It's only $30 Australian, free shipping. There's also lots of expansions and things you can add in, so we'll, we'll see how that Needless goes. Needless to say, it's a game about trying to find your perfect match. Yeah. Um, now, the second Kickstarter that comes in Australia, as they all do, is Rare Roses by Rocky Heckman and Craven Studios out of Canberra. Oh, yeah, a bit of uh, dropping their beats. You're, um, you're so with it. Sorry. Um, so this is the first time Kickstarter for Rocky in the Craven Studios team, but he has produced games before. We met him a few years back at PAX where he had Troll Bridge, Kicking Your Ass. Now, he's raised just over 5,000. He's got a 20,000K goal with still 20 days to go now. We just talk about a first-time Kickstarter not setting a target too high. I feel like he might have done that, but, you know, he's been around a while. Oh, look, he certainly designed a fair few games, and we were lucky enough to have a, a, a preview of Rare Roses, yeah. so we've played the game. Look, it's a good game. If you like roses and you like the style of game this is, which is you've got to take your roses, you've got to basically make them to be better than they are, and then you've got to fulfil orders. Yeah, it's like an order-filling game. It's a good game. But, and I've said this to Rocky, so it's no surprise, we at the Dice Men, especially for first-time creators and especially for Australian creators, want that target to be as low as possible because we want the game to be released. We want it to be published. Yeah. We want it to get out there and into the masses because there is no point setting an unrealistic game target that then does it get funded. Yeah, and look, there, there were a couple of things that I really liked about this game. So just like real life when you buy flowers, they don't last forever. And in this game what happens is you buy the flowers as buds, then they bloom, then they're mature blooms, then they're dead. So keepsy and the fleetingness of life. That's right. Beauty is truth, truth, beauty, and, and so on. And fulfilling orders for roses. And so you have to fulfill the orders. The orders flow through really quick, and so there's not much of an ability to plan too far ahead. Especially at maximum player count. That's right. And so, therefore, you have to look at what other players are trying to fulfill and look at what's available because there's not a lot of 
Rose's availability in a, uh, available in each round for the players to buy directly from the market. So you can then buy from the other players. Trying to price your roses where you actually sell them before it comes back to your turn. The order you were going to f- uh, fill is dead, and so are your roses, and you've wasted your money. I I quite like that how the how they progress. Now, the thing though that we discovered, which I I don't want to say it breaks the game, but because it's a limited economy and there's no uh, income that you can get at the start of your turn, just for doing nothing, which is much like life, actually. Yes. You can buy roses. The orders you were planning to fill with those roses are gone. All of a sudden, you've got all these roses that are useless to you. All your friends go, I don't want to buy your roses. And then they die. And you're stuffed. And you have no money. You have no way to get any money. It's very cutthroat and for... The level of game that this is, I was concerned that the chance for a player to basically kill themselves is is very real. Yeah, well, this is where the gamers group will dictate the level of nastiness in this game because if you have that particular group who goes, <laughs> you're staffed, yes, there will be player elimination. Uh, Rocky, because we again addressed this to, yeah, to Rocky after yeah. our game and look to his credit, he said, yep, look, it's reflecting... True business. If you overcapitalize yeah. without knowing what the future holds, then you sort of deserve to be stuffed. And yeah. I get that. You raise the point of is it a simulation versus is it a game? And that is also, I believe, a very valid point. Yeah. The point being, I believe the market for this game is that Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I'm relaxed. I'm enjoying it because the art is beautiful. The game is seamless and doesn't take very long at yes. all. But I think if the dice men sat round and played this game again, there would be severe player elimination <laughs> because we would go, <laughs> sorry, Mark, you're out. Well, we, we, we felt would, really... We would cut your head off yes. like they do with these old roses and turn them into potpourri. Look, the only other thing is when we played this game, it didn't have a big central board and we were fine with that. Now, this game comes at a price point of $45, although that does include shipping... It's effectively a card game with some player boards, which, yes, you need those because you've got to manage the, the, the ageing of your roses. But do you need that centre board? We didn't have it, and I feel like maybe that big centre board has added to the cost unnecessarily, which might then allow the game to have a cheaper level, have a cheaper uh, funding goal. What I do don't you, know. What are you buying a shop for 45 bucks, Mark? Yeah, I, I, I have no issue whatsoever with the price point. Okay. I do have an issue with the target, and that's only because... I worry that the target will make it not funded. Yeah. I want it to be funded because I deserve. I, I think this game deserves to be out there in the public domain. Yeah. The art is beautiful. Yeah, the is game is lovely. solid. It deserves to be in people's hands, and I'm not confident that it will be at the moment, but I cross my fingers okay. I cross my toes that it will be. Look, a couple more quick ones because we're almost out of time. I just want to give a shout-out. Brain Hacker. It's an Adelaide-based board game store and cafe. It was the first board game cafe in Adelaide in 2018. They're looking to expand their lease and upgrade their kitchen. And, Garth, we are big fans of board game cafes today. Mm. Happy to see this getting good support. now. Good news, they've already raised over $9,000. they are only going for $5,000. It's still got 25 days to go. The rewards include badges, stickers. You can get gameplay passes. You can even get food and drink. Do you now, think it's reasonable if I... 
say that my games room is our games cafe and I put it up on Kickstarter because I could do with the $10,000 they've earned. Well, the problem is you might have to be in South Australia to visit, but it's great to see the hobby growing. Um, that's the Brain Hacker. Another game that's successfully funded by Jack Ford Morgan and Half Monster Games in Brisbane is Animal Empire. They've raised over 6000 of their modest 3500 dollar target still with 24 days to go this is an empire building card game where you play sentient human-like animals in a world where all humans are dead well we have a copy on the way so we will be able to play this fantastic and talk about Look, it looks amazing thing. it's got that anthropomorphic art it's quick playing cutthroat card game it is definitely well worth a look um you've got zombies need more brains which is a zombie game with zombie game with blackjack style card play for only 15 dollars it's a print-on-demand game, which is why they only had a $100 level. Do we need another zombie game? It actually looks just like zombie dice, but in a card game form. 40, 41 people say yes. There you go. And finally, Grim Hollow, the campaign guide for fifth edition of the world's greatest role-playing game. Good way to uh, avoid a, uh, a lawsuit. It's raised over $100,000. Well overfunded. If you're into your dark, uh, grim, horror campaign setting, check that one out, Australian. <gasps> Garth, we've run out of time. We've got to go. There are so many games down under. This has been an edit of The Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.